Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Racket Athlete Podcast. Today we have on Clive Brewer, who has over 20 years experience working with human performance um, in sports. Um, he's currently based in Dubai, uh, and I'll let you let him introduce himself. Welcome to the show, Clive. Thanks, Chris. Uh, it's great to be on. Great to speak to you. Yep. Um, so, having a good day so far, Clive? Hi, yeah. No, all good. All good. Obviously, it's uh, I'm reading about the heat wave in the UK, but it's it's pretty pretty warm over here as well, you know. Yeah, it's probably so, nothing yeah. here compared to what you're getting, right? Yeah, it's a fairly sad. We had a had a session outside the other day. It was four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, with the with the heat index and the humidity, it was a real temperature of fifty four degrees. So wow. uh, there are obviously some challenges around managing managing that in an outdoor environment. Yeah, I could imagine. So what I'd like to ask you first, Clive, is maybe can you just go ahead and let the listeners uh, hear about your background and what you've done and what sports you've been involved in and stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, look, like most of us, I think I'm probably, you know, I'm a, I'm a failed athlete, right? So um, didn't, didn't quite make it to be, uh, to be the player I always thought I was going to be as a junior, but fell in love really with the uh, you know, with the training process and the science of it and that sort of stuff. So I did a, you know, I did my sports science degree back in the dark ages, um, graduated from Loughborough in 97 with a master's degree. Um, and then largely around that time, it was an exciting time for British sport, you know, because we just, we just performed really badly at the, the Olympics um, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we only got one gold medal meant that there was a real prioritization at that time around, how do we how do we better support the athletes and how do we enable them to to get better and actually achieve the potential that they that they always have? So it, it was a great time to start my career out um, and to become involved with stuff. So I became involved with uh, you know the development of sports science. Um, I, you know I've been on committees for the for, for basis um, and also led the involvement of the UK Strengthening and Distance Association as well with a, with a group of other people. So. Um, and during that time, you know, I started off, my first job was with England rugby, um, yeah. then went into professional soccer. I mean, in terms of the rele- you know, relevance that we're going to speak about, my, my very first Wimbledon tennis tournament was in 2000. Okay. Um, and then I did 20 years. Um, in fact, this was the first year the tournaments run when I haven't been involved in it for since, since 2000, wow. um, you know, working, working as part of the sports medicine faculty there and actually working to, to run all the, the, the training facilities yeah. um, in the tournament. So big involvement in there with, you know, the likes of the WTA, the ATP, um, you know, and a number of coaches and kept in touch with a number of coaches, a number of players, um, yeah. you know, as we've gone through. Mm-hmm. And then my career from there largely has taken me through, um, you know, I was head of human performance within the rugby league. Yeah. Uh, been involved in professional rugby league. Then I went to the States four years in professional baseball. Um wow. And then Major League Soccer. And then now, you know, I'm in Dubai now working with uh, Elite Sports Performance, which is largely, um, it's, it's a centre set up in Dubai where we can actually work in an integrated performance and rehab context around individual athletes. Oh, so yeah. great, great setup. And, you know, mm-hmm. just coaching 10 hours a day with 10 different players each day. It's great fun. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so that's, 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 I'm a lot there with the, the, the rack athlete last night. So that's good. Um, Good, good bit of experience you've got this year, today, uh, Clive. So that's that's good. So what, what we're going to talk about and what we're going to get on to now is um, specifically tennis. As you said, you've got a bit of experience with that. You've been involved in a few times. Um, so you've I've, you've worked with a few tennis players in your time, yeah. Yeah, 
No, I mean, it's, it's, you know, Wimbledon's a good contact in terms of the fact that we got the chance to work with all the players and obviously they bring their support teams in and stuff. But, you know, um, yeah, part, of, look, part, of, part of working in tournament like that is the fact that you want to provide the right environment for the players to flourish. flourish. So, yeah. and they're focused on winning, on winning games, but we spend a lot of time there working with the coaches, you know, more on the longer term development. How do you develop this player longer term? Not, not, not the now, yeah. but, but away from there, you know? So, yeah. you know, as a result of that, you know, I, I've got, I spent a lot of time with some great professionals like Jez Green, mm-hmm. um, you know, with some coaches like Dave Samuel down at Bath, but also international coaches, you know, I, you know, I've done some training camps for, for world number one in Florida and a few other things. So, yeah. you know, just had that, 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 that opportunity to speak with different coaches, learn from different mm-hmm. people and interact with different players, just, just mm-hmm. helps you just broaden your horizons and, and really think about how can you impact on the long-term development of the, of the player moving forward. Brilliant. Yeah, so I think the, I think the first question I'm going to kind of touch on a bit here and get you some of your experience from this is um, we're obviously we're going to we're going to speak specifically about footwork and tennis today. So it's mainly going to, we're mainly going to talk about that sort of different areas of that and how things work with the footwork and tennis. So what I would like to firstly ask you is what are the three common errors from your side of things and how you've seen it in footwork or tennis? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, the predominant one is people not realising that tennis players move fundamentally very differently from any other athlete, right? Um, So if you actually, if you look at the principles of acceleration as as applied to most sports, let's say most sports, right? They come from, they come from track and field and they come from sprinting, but um, they predominantly apply to most sports. And that's where you use an acceleration to try and exploit space, right? You're trying to, your aim is to get to, um, either to close down space or to open up space around an opponent, right, in a team sport or in track and field, to eat up space as quickly as you possibly can. So um, the the athlete typically is accelerating uh, from a position of, of low to high, um, from a position of, of small, powerful steps to, to increasingly longer steps. Um, and, you know, there's a very specific footwork component towards that, you know, where where body angles and shin angles and, and those sorts of things become, become really important for us to coach in detail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see a lot of people applying those principles to the tennis athlete and a tennis player fundamentally moves completely different to that. So the objective of a tennis player isn't to exploit space. No, it's largely to intersect an object that's coming at them, you know? So <laughs> if you actually look at most of the movement of the player, it's, it's lateral. Right. And that that sounds obvious, but there, there are very few of the shots that they have that don't have a lateral component. Sure, you've got a serve and volley specialist, maybe sometimes, yeah. although they're, they're rarer. So there are times when they are going to, yes, they're going to need to accelerate to the net. And during those times, great, let's let's utilize the principles of linear acceleration. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, a tennis player's movement is about moving laterally to intercept the ball that's coming at them, you know, at yeah. a perpendicular angle. So yeah. The principles of, you know, A, they, they tend not to be moving from a position of low to high, yeah. right? Depending on the surface they're playing on. If it's if it's clay, obviously the ball's going to be reasonably high. If it's grass, yeah. it's going to be low. Yeah. Um, but their first movements as well, you know, typically we talk about well, the first thing they do is tennis players go into a split step, right? Mm-hmm. And then from there, the most effective way to intercept that ball might not be take 10 small steps. It's probably going to take three big steps. Yeah. You know, so... Um, 
that that I think is the is the biggest difference that that people don't realize is yeah. is the, the very specific movement patterns the tennis player has, and then allied to that is then you know we talk uh, we talk in acceleration in most sports around you know the what what I might call the credit card rule. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so don't don't let your heel contact the floor, but but let the rest of your foot contact it. Yeah. Um, again, some of the most fundamental steps in tennis, mm -hmm. actually, you actually want the heel to contact the floor first off. You know, okay. so it's about encouraging not just the the stride pattern that someone has, but about the foot contact they have with the ground. Yeah. And actually, get players to recognise and, and and adapt that and integrate that into the shots. And I think that's fundamentally for me, they are they're they're the key principles that I would start to to advocate for tennis Great. movement. Yeah. And how how would you go about with your tennis players training those aspects in like? Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a great question. Um look I think you know movement movement skills are I, there are there are three specific functions to them, right? Um one is about you know we utilize warm-ups um in order to ingrained motor patterns, but more appropriately to, to, to kind of reinforce muscle control, right? Um, and Zoom's a really bad environment to try and communicate this because I keep wanting to jump out of my chair now and do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but we might use, you know, we might use certain fundamental patterns, like for example, getting someone in a quarter squat with their feet yeah. narrow and toes pointing forward and then getting them to maintain that quarter squat but jump their toes out to the side yeah because that act we know that activates the glutes right yeah. so let's try to yeah. get that, that glute med get them used to open up the hips um yeah or you know we put people in certain fundamental movement positions to <clears throat> you know to actually facilitate the neuromuscular uh system to activate certain muscles yeah so one one is about having very specific warm-ups that that follow that purpose right mm -hmm. yeah um Two then is around having uh, specific, let's call them movement control drills, right? And these are okay. these are fairly generic in nature, but mm -hmm. these are these are around you know getting people to to follow the fundamental movement processes related to you know uh, single limb, double limb, squat mm -hmm. patterns, hinge yeah. patterns, um, etc., so that they can actually achieve single limb and double limb stability and, and, and yeah. move through those. So they they form a certain so you get your warm up and then you get your specific let's call them you know control drills and yeah. single leg hurdle hops and multi-directional hurdle hops and yeah. all those all those kind of kind of patterning things and, and strengthening things and then I think you've got very specifically the the fundamental tennis drills and I mean this for me like my you know my learning curve with Jez Green I think started on this probably back in about two thousand and three mm -hmm. you know um where he really exposed me to a detailed analysis of how players move from a tennis coach's perspective okay. um, and then use those to build up specific drills drills um yeah. that and again it's then then it becomes the principle for 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 drill development right so how do you first make those drills as close as possible mm -hmm. then how do you make them gradually more open bringing in you know bringing on board resistance or bringing on board speed or intensity or mm -hmm. you know and then you make them more specific so that you actually end up with x weeks later you know a player who's actually able to mentally rehearse going yeah. through a serve and then a number of movement progressions down a down a court yeah brilliant so what i'm getting from from you there Clive, is really it's when you're looking at footwork for tennis players you want to look at the specific warm-up to using the the controlled drills which possibly Meaning closed drills as well, 
and also what what was it you, you sorry you mentioned the, the last thing was it? I, I mean, yeah, the last stage for me is about is about bringing in things like you know like medicine balls and, and other yeah. tools as well that you can use to. It, it's where it's where you transfer it from the generality to, to the specificity. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense, Absolutely. you know. Um, and the the key principle for me in there is you know the success of the strength coach is going to come down to how well they work with the tennis coach. Yeah. You know. So how do you break down what is what is it that this player specifically needs? And then how do you work with the tennis coach to construct drills that say, okay, this is the, this is the general movement component. So um, if I give you an example, I can think back to a player I worked with, you know, a few years ago, um, you know, she kept getting recurrent ATFL injuries in her, in her okay. ankle, kept rolling her ankle going over the side. So yeah. um, fairly common, but the problem wasn't a weak ankle. The problem when you actually went back and analyzed it was the fact that she had really weak glutes and couldn't control that lateral movement. Right. So, the first, the first thing is about like so. So the first thing is about how do we create a strengthening program and a movement program which really encourages her to utilize, recruit, and then strengthen uh, the glutes. Yeah. And then how do we transfer the learning that she's had from that program into on-court movement drills, mm-hmm. which enable her to maximize um, the okay. use of the use of that you know a that 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 newfound strength, that newfound neural pathway, but b put it into a movement context that's going to suit yeah. her game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's that's a good way of explaining it, Clive. Definitely, yes. So I think moving on now from that area, um, still obviously in footwork, but what do you think the two main reasons that uh, too many steps can cause problems? Or from your perspective, is there two reasons possibly that, I mean, could cause problems in tennis of the too many steps when you're doing your footwork and, and things? I'm not sure that, you know, I'm not sure we could, we could, if I'd say it's causing problems, I'd say it's probably, we're not helping the athlete in, in yeah. the optimum way, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, our job, you know, movement for me, right. Tennis, tennis players, or I mean, any sports person, our job is to give them the tools and their job is to use those tools to solve yeah. the problems. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and if you think back to certain players, they, you know, they were like, I'm going to serve the ball as hard as you can at you. And if you can get it back over, good luck. Right. <laughs> but um, other, you know, other players haven't got quite those physical tools. So it's about mm-hmm. how many, how do we give them, you know, how do we give them all the tools that they need to, to solve the problems that are in front of them, you know, and be able to pick someone else's game apart. So I think for me, it's about how do we put together a movement curriculum mm-hmm. um, that really provides them with the optimum advantages on court. Yeah, and enables the transfer of training benefits that they're going to get from the the strengthening conditioning program to the tennis. You yeah. know, that's what we want. That's that's ultimately what we want to bridge. Yeah. So the <coughs> you know, I'm not saying it's going to give. I'm not saying it's going to cause someone problems giving them a track and field program. I just don't mm. think it's going to help them solve the problems they're going to face on court. Yeah. You know. Um. So if we can actually work with someone to to develop their you know develop their movement skills in a way that's going to enable them to get into the optimum positions to then play the shots um you know for me i think that's fundamentally our job as a strength and conditioning coach yeah you know then we make sure they then, then they make sure they can do it more forcefully and then we make sure they can do it oh. again and again yeah exactly and um, so yeah really what i'm picking up there is you want to make sure that you are as a strength coach are collaborating with the tennis coach and really nailing down what needs to be worked on and how to work on it. Yeah, 
yeah, I think, you know, for me, that's, um, I think, you know, very fundamentally for me in, in, in any sports situation I've worked in and, you know, and any coach I've worked with, anytime you've done the strength and conditioning process in isolation, mm-hmm. it's never, it's never setting the player up for success. Right. Yeah. Um, so fundamentally for me, the starting point of any, you know, um, of any process really, whether it's a training process or a rehab process is you have to train the athlete, right? So the starting point is in these analysis. And many, many people for me have, you know, they've, okay, this is an analysis of the sport, right? This is what tennis is, mm-hmm. which, which is, which we understand, yep. but then how does that athlete fit into that? How do they match that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, because not, not every player is the same. You know, if you, you know, you look at, Serena Williams and Justine and Anne. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. very fundamentally very different athletes. Yeah. You know, both both world-class tennis players, but you can't give them the same program. Yet no. they're playing the same sport. Yeah. So the the needs analysis has to be undertaken with the coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also say, depending on, you know, depending on the, the resources available, I'd also fundamentally yeah. say the, the physiotherapist, yeah, you know, etc. So I mean, I think now of there's there's an Olympian I'm working with now who's just getting ready to go to Tokyo, okay. and um, our team is very you know I'm in Dubai, he's in America, etc. Yes. But mm-hmm. we we zoom and and like every time we have a, a planning stage and say where we're at in terms of our needs analysis with the athlete, mm-hmm. then the athletes involved, the mental performance coach is involved, yeah. the physiotherapist is involved, yeah, yeah. the coach is involved, and Everyone. I'm involved everyone's everyone's always in there so everyone everyone has a, an opportunity to input, uh, you know so that we're all we're all fundamentally working towards the benefit of the athlete and, and i yeah. think that for me is you know and even so even if it is just the coach you know that's that's a vital step because the coach is going to spend as much time or more time with the player than, than mm-hmm. i am and and also yeah. they're gonna they're gonna know they're gonna know what's best to success set this player up for success mm-hmm. right um yeah. You know, and that fundamentally, that's our that's our job as strength coaches is to yeah. say, look, how do we make this player a better player? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's right. Um, yeah. So I think really bringing everyone together in the team is the key thing to get the best out of the athlete and make it just specific for the tennis player, over whatever level they're at, um, making sure it's specific for them, whatever the 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 fine attain and achieve. Yeah, I think so, and you know. And then if you go, if you go, you know, strip that, strip that back, you know, if you're working with a, with a 12 year old, yeah. Right. Then obviously it's going to be a bit more generic and a bit more long-term. Yes. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I think your job there is to put the building blocks in place yeah. um, that are going to enable this athlete to achieve long-term success. Mm-hmm. If you're working with someone who's on the world tour, then it's very much about how do we deliver, mm. you know, this year. Yeah. Um, for example, would you would you agree then, or maybe speak a bit about this? Like when you're working, obviously with you just mentioned juniors, and then obviously you work with a world tour athlete. Would you say the world tour athlete is more about, from your experiences in, in strength conditioning, it's more about minimal dose response when you're working with them when they're training and they're in tournaments and stuff like that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, your priorities are different, right? So. Yeah. Um, and the, the key thing I think in understanding any program is what are the objectives of this program for this athlete at this time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously like, you know, we talked earlier on about creating the right environment at Wimbledon, but yeah. the objective, 
basically when anyone comes to when anyone comes to a tournament at Wimbledon, it's about winning. And it shouldn't, you know, all the work to prepare for that should have been done in advance, right? Yeah. So um yeah, the players still train through the tournament and stuff because they, you know, they need to and they're used to it. But the the level of training, the you know, the volume of training that they're going to do there is is massively reduced compared to yeah. what they might do anywhere else. You know, so I think what you've got to look at it is in terms of you know, obviously off season training blocks is where you do your high volume yeah you know, work, yeah. but then then it's a case of what is the priority for this tournament. Mm-hmm. Look, if they're trying to, if they're a low level player trying to achieve ranking points, then, you know, pretty much every tournament becomes really important. <laughs> um, the problem for that is at some point you've got to build a base. Yeah. Right. You've got to do the work. So, yeah. And, and, and years ago, we, we actually did this exercise, pretty good exercise. I did, uh, I think this was back in 2000, 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. I, I forget the year, but with, a, with an American player. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, I mean, literally, we just did this. We, we ranked a tournament plan for the year and we prioritized them in terms of is the objective to win? Um, is the objective to go as far as you can? Or is this, yeah. a, is this a training tournament in which case we're going to train through it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and she went, she went 100 places at the world rankings that year. Wow. Um, yeah. uh, just, just utilizing that approach to, mm-hmm. to, to actually enhance her physical conditioning. Um, yeah. the problem comes if, if everything's a priority nothing's a priority Chris right you know so yeah absolutely you can't, you can't prioritise winning and training at the same, at the same no, time exactly. so yeah, your, your approach to minimum dose response if you're trying to win a tournament then, then it is about you know is about having things in place beforehand if, if it's a tournament that we um, that you want to do well in and, and see how far you can go but you're going to train on then mm-hmm. and obviously your training dose becomes a bit more specific yeah. And if it's a tournament you're playing in and you're just training through it, then, you know, you're going to have more, more training volume in there. But very specifically, the objective determines how you prioritise that. Yeah. But in tournament that we're trying to win, yeah, you, you, you're spot on. It's minimum those responses are a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Okay. Um, obviously, going back to the, the juniors, obviously, with the training there as well, um, a good thing you mentioned there was training volume. So what is your... What's your opinion and, and perspective on training volume for juniors? Just I'd throw that question in there. <laughs> tennis players, let's make it specific tennis players. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think how to answer that one appropriately. Um, do you mean overall training volume or do you mean off-court training specifically as a balance or how do you... Um, yeah, I just kind of like... For a, as a strength and conditioning coach, how would you go about working with juniors in physical training and how would you train them to build the foundation and potentially get to where they want to be? Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I, for me then, that's about trying to trying to develop this this curriculum, right? So mm-hmm. if if you look at any any progression of an athlete, um, you've, got, you've, you've got two pyramids that are superimposed on each other. So one is... One is like a general movement skills that moves up towards very specific. And the other is a specific movement skills that moves down towards the other, you yeah. know, and you put those two together to, to, to start to form your movement strategies. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it's about how do you put the, the building blocks in place? Right. So mm-hmm. um, tennis is a sport like no other in terms of the, the demands that it puts sideways and also through yeah. transverse movement planes. Mm-hmm. Right. So you've got players who need to be able to develop, you know, a, a nice wide stable base, 
but from that stable base, be able to generate rotational patterns um, and overhead patterns through, yep. you know, so utilizing the glutes, the lats, the thoracolumbar fascia, connecting, you know, connecting those aspects, which, which bring the lower body and the upper body together. Yeah. And so that's, that's at the top level. So at the bottom level, you need to put things in place that control that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we develop lateral movement? How do we rotate, develop rotational control? Mm -hmm. um, and then how do we develop the, the sagittal plane strength in the athlete that says, yes, they can do the fundamental squat lunge yeah. hinge, type patterns that yeah. we want to that we want to develop so for me i think that you know it's it's therefore about laying that foundation saying that these are the generic movement patterns we want to use mm -hmm. in the gym these are the basic movement patterns that we want to control and transfer onto the core mm -hmm. and then we gradually just bring those together into a you know an integrated program with the you know with the tennis coaches you know working that through um yeah. and you know for 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 me, the more serious the tennis player becomes, the more important that the strength and conditioning aspect becomes because you're trying yeah. to build up, you know, you're trying to, like, there is no doubt that the tennis develops athleticism, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. The best, the best tennis players are among the, you know, the most unbelievable movers in the world. Yeah. But, geez, they have to be robust. Yeah. You know, there Speed is no acceleration. Yeah, I mean the amount of decelerations and accelerations mm. that you know the 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 player goes through, um, yeah. <clears throat> you know, is in, in a in a game is is unlike many others. You know, I mean yeah. every sport will say that they're they you know they're unique, right? But yeah. it's not it's not simply the amount they go through in a game. It's more about the fact it's the, the volume of games that they play, the number of days they play serially, and then the number mm. of games and tournaments they have in a year. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. And if you don't build up that robustness and that athleticism, you know, as a junior, yeah, and you know, then then fundamentally they're not going to achieve as as a senior, yeah, you know, yeah, um, and you know, so I think I think that's a that's a big realization to to try and impact upon people, yeah, and and the other thing is, look, if you if you want to succeed, right, you you have to be able to hit the ball hard, and yeah. hitting the ball hard whether that's in a serve or a return mm -hmm. um is yes you have to be unbelievably technically gifted right yeah. um yeah there's no, i can like, I, i'm reasonably strong right but there's no chance i'm going to serve 150 miles an hour mm -hmm. ever right yeah. um but you, you, so yes you've got to be unbelievable but you've also got to be able to harness with you know sufficient neuromuscular control you've got to be able yeah. to exert more, that technique. more control yeah and and that's that's for me fundamentally that's where the strength and conditioning coach has got a real a real opportunity to impact upon you know that developmental level of tennis player yeah is let's really help develop that quality of athleticism yep. that they that will transfer into their game and also also doing that I think as well something that came in my head there was about obviously if they build that up uh, properly they can reduce injuries in the long run as well right. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, you know, those, those athletes that have got, um, you know, there's, there's an interesting debate about how strong is strong enough. Right. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be a subscriber to this, like tennis no. players need to score body weight or anything like, no, not at all. Mm. But the, the more functionally strong an athlete is, yeah. um, there's a, there's a huge amount of research that kind of demonstrates that the less injuries they actually get, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so 
I think, you know, for me, fundamentally, the, the two go hand in hand. And anyone who's heard me speak in, you know, in any context before will, will tell you, I think there's, you know, for me, there's three things you justify a performance program on. Mm-hmm. So one is, are we making the players more available to, to train and play more often? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that comes back to availability and that comes back to reducing injuries, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, first and foremost, we need to understand what are, what are the injury risks that this player faces. Go back to one needs analysis. What are the injury risks this player face? And then how do we mitigate those um, through the program? Two is about how are we impacting the player to get ready for every time that the, you know, the, the bell rings, you know, so to speak. I mean, it's one of the first things that didn't never occurred to me until I started working in tennis yeah. is, you know, the fact that, you know, a player warms up. I don't know how many times I've seen a player warm up, you know, for a men's match that's going on and it's, you know, two sets, four love up. Mm-hmm. The player's warming up, ready to go on. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it goes to a third set. You know, the guy, the, the guy wins the next four games back. Yeah, and, then yeah. it's, you know, and then, so the player warms up again and then suddenly it's into a, you know, a, a, a fourth set and a fifth set, fifth set yeah. you know? So, but how fundamentally, how do we keep that player ready? You know, we don't warm them up too often, but we don't warm them up. You know, we make sure they're prepared. Yeah. Um, and and that goes back to also what we talked about. Now, how do we make sure they're ready from one tournament to the next, not just within a tournament? Yeah. Um, so readiness is a is another factor. And then the, yeah. the third one for me is are we imp- improving their physical capacity to, to do yeah. the job that they have to do? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, so I think injury prevention is, is, is a very, very fundamental part of that. Definitely. Probably one of the biggest things that's talked about these days, right? The injury process and recovery and... Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I remember a discussion I had with with someone a few years ago at Wimbledon. He was like, you know, Clive, my players have been on tour for, you know, we've been on the road now for 13 weeks and not a single injury. But when I actually mm-hmm. looked at what he did with them, they weren't doing anything. Uh, okay. you know? And I'm like, funny, yeah, I can see why. Because then you're not, mm-hmm. you know, the easiest way, the easiest way to prevent injuries is not doing anything. Yeah. Um, so... It's it's about getting that balance right. It's how do I do how do I do enough that enhances performance and builds that base of the performance training. Um, and I, you know, fundamentally for me, that's always the key driver, right? A training program should fundamentally deliver both performance and injury prevention. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so the focus the focus for me should be on how do we deliver the long term or short term performance improvement yeah. whilst preventing injuries. Not not necessarily focus on preventing injuries because the easy way to do that is not train. Yeah, yeah. So basically, looking at what possible injuries can happen in, like, say, tennis, for example, and then actually reducing the chances in, in the long run. Yeah, I think so. I mean, go back go back to the example I talked about earlier on with the girl with the ATFL injuries in her ankle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, if you if you look at if you look at a lot of ankle injuries, is what why are they occurring? It's often because people can't control that um, rotation. You know, they can't control the center of mass as they move laterally, right? Yeah. So so why why is that? You know, yeah. Um, is it is it because of where they're placing their feet and their movement? Um, is it because of they they haven't got the the glute med strength or you know etc. to control that through, or is it because they've got a weak ankle? And once we understand. Once we understand the diagnosis, then you can you can target the the intervention specifically. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So touching on that, then uh, going back to footwork specifically. Um, so with you probably work with tennis coach for this. Typically, I'm not sure if you do or not, but recovery and footwork. So when a player is defending in footwork um, on the court, for example, what are your thoughts on how that would 
work in tennis with a player, for example, teaching recovery, but bring it into SNC as well and how that would kind of work with the coach, the tennis coach. Yeah. Um, let me just check. I got the, the, the question right. So when yeah. you talk about re- when you talk about recovery, are you talking about recovering back to the midline? Are you talking about recovery? Yeah, yeah. recovering back from a defensive position, for example. So how would yeah. you defend and recover from footwork and, and getting moved around the court so much? You know? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, fun, fundamentally for me, that's, that's, that's very much specifically into the coach's realm, you know, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. For me, it's about it's about working with the coach to break down what are the movement requirements for the player to do, right? Building those into the SNC components of the program, uh-huh. but relying on the coach to transfer those from, you know, and it's it's like in anything we do, right? So I I might break it down into a learning context, mm-hmm. then when we put it into an applied context, mm-hmm. in the applied context, the coach is delivering that same message and those same drills, and I would deliver I, I deliver the learning moments in the warm up, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So and I think that's where you get that's where you get the most success from it is like mm-hmm. you know um, that that communication and that transfer of knowledge between you and the coach mm-hmm. um, I think is is fundamentally important um, mm-hmm. because that's and it, and it also builds confidence in the player because the players then knows that they, they don't want to listen to me talking about and nor should they uh-huh. listen to me about talking recovering from defensive positions right because mm-hmm. it's not. It isn't my area of expertise. No, no. You know, so what I'm what I'm doing is literally is is I'm looking at how they move. The coach is gonna the coach is gonna break that down technically, tactically. Yeah. Um, the coach is probably gonna have a better insight for me into their into their mm-hmm. footwork as well. Mm-hmm. You know, all I want to do is to is to utilize my conversation to extract his or her knowledge of that. Yeah, yeah. And then think about how do I fundamentally train it and. And also, but where is, you know, go back to it, where is the deficiency, right? Is it a, is it a, is it a technical deficiency? Physical. Um, or is it a physical one? If it's a physical one, I need to figure out how I fix it. If it's a technical one, I need to figure out how I can help the coach fix it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's important we, we, we understand that. And, and if I, and let me, if I can come just off topic, just to explain that yeah. for you slightly. Yeah. Um, I sat down in a in a room with the baseball coaches when I was at the the Blue Jays, and we looked mm-hmm. at um, a very high round draft pick, very high profile player who was in his in his early years of development at the club, mm-hmm. and he was he was in a, he was in a, a shortstop. So basically, this is the most athletic position on the baseball field, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the guy that has to be massively reactive. Um, very quick lateral movements and to throw the ball from all sorts of weird positions back to those base. And the, the coaches were saying to me, you, you, you got to go and you got to go and fix his movement. He doesn't move well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I had a, I had a ton of video and a ton of data that kind of suggested to me the player moved really well. And in okay. fact, it was probably the best movers in the club. Okay. So what it led down to was was a really good discussion. It was it was a, it was it was a lovely process that we went through mm-hmm. um, about like is my data and my analysis wrong, or mm-hmm. is it not movement that he, that he actually needs? But fundamentally, he just couldn't read the game very well. So yeah. And so therefore, if we bought a movement solution to a technical requirement or a technical yeah. tactical requirement, yeah, yeah, we would we wouldn't enhance the player. No, right. Yeah. So fundamentally, what we then did was spent a lot of time putting the player into agility drills, which were yeah. driven by the baseball mm-hmm. coach. Yeah. So yeah. he was he was having to react to baseball scenarios with the movement drills that we gave him. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and that, you know, that fundamentally achieves success for us, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing with, I think it's the same thing with tennis, you know, there, there's, it's, it's very specifically, let's try and figure it out. If it's a physical problem, then bring a physical solution. Yeah. But if it's a technical tactical, <coughs> let's make sure that we empower the coach to do that. Mm-hmm. And the, the work I do is supporting and enhancing that, that product that they're delivering. So I think I'm going to move on to something now that's obviously classed as a common injury in tennis is um, tennis elbow. Have you ever worked with any experience with that and do you have any views on that and how have you dealt with that, that sort of side of things with that sort of tennis elbow? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for me, the you know, it, it's, a, it's a tendonitis, right? And yeah. the, the, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. One is, one is, you know, treat the symptoms and the other is deal with the cause. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so, um, look, I'm never, I'm, I'm never going to be the guy doing the treatment. Right. So yeah. the, the working, working with the, working with the therapist to deliver that, you know, the actual, the, the treatment aspect of it and the, you know, the deep friction and all the other stuff that goes with it. Yeah. Um, I think from, from my perspective, then it comes down to specifically two things. One is as a tendonitis, it's going to respond to loading. Yeah. Right. So how do we appropriately mm-hmm. load that joint? Yeah. Um, and, and, and load the tendon to make sure that it's actually getting the lengthening under tension that it actually needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one thing that will help with the treatment and the prevention of it. Okay. Um, the second thing for me then is, is what is the cause of it? You know, yeah. fundamentally what's, what's going on in that quartile somewhere. And you, you know, you got to look, you know, you're going to work with the therapist to break it down, but what's going on through the cervical spine, through the, you know, through the shoulder, etc that's causing this problem in the first place yeah um and then you know bringing in a range of you know a range of modalities around that that actually Mm. typically correct it let's say posturally you know so are you looking at you know are you looking at things like arm bars and and those sorts of things which really focus on using loaded movements to put the shoulder in the correct position so we get optimal length tension relationships through our upper upper arm yeah to try and prevent that tendonitis occurring again Mm -hmm. yeah um can you possibly, I don't know, talk about exercises you have used that, that may be beneficial for that? Uh, yeah. The, again, it comes back to how do you demonstrate those? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. Or let me, yeah. yeah I think for me, think? you know, for, for me, I think there's a number of, you know, there's, there's a number of resources that, one of, one of the great things is, you know, having worked in, in a range of sports is you obviously you pick up, you pick up different things from different yeah, sports yeah. and try to yeah, across. Yeah. So, so um, I learned, you know, I learned a ton in tennis. I took to, took to baseball, but I also learned okay. a ton in baseball that I bring back to, back to tennis again and that sort of yeah. stuff. So, yeah. you know, I think there are, you know, there are movements around, you know, around arm bars. Um, so if anyone hasn't seen an, an arm bar, it's a kettlebell movement whereby, you're, you're placing someone in a in a loaded lateral position on the force. Yeah. They're side they're side lying with their arm vertically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what what we're using there is the you're using the rotator cuff to to really um, attract the humeral head yeah. into, into yes. the scapula and the humeral joint yeah. there. So it's it's all about how do you how do you correctly position the shoulder joint and then get the right muscles to do the work. Okay. I see a I see a ton of guys doing all this sorts of stuff with you know, rotated cuffs and bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Fundamentally in tennis, I would look if if you if you're rehabbing, that's one thing. But if you mm-hmm. if you've got an athlete, you know, 
the rotator cuff doesn't act as a mobilizer, it acts as a stabilizer. So you've got to train yeah. it as a stabilizer. Yeah. Um, so I would I would avoid those things. I'd look at arm bars and progressions around it. I'd look at okay. I'd look at get up movements as well. Um, there's a yeah. ton of movements off the floor from the, that originate from a Turkish get up. Yeah. Um, that I think are really good for sequencing um, sequencing movements that that originate from the core, but also go into the upper extremity. So okay. um, I'd encourage people to look at you know like things like Eric Cressy and, and things like that, who's done some yeah. really really good good progressions for that for the overhead athlete that, yeah. that might help yeah definitely I, I know i've i know of him i've seen some of his work on um social media and stuff so it's pretty good um, yeah yeah so um yeah just a final question then clive um sure. in your time in tennis what would you say is your greatest memory and what's kind of stuck out for you for training or anything that's in particular uh to I, I, yeah, too too many memories. I think. Too you know, many memories, to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, when you, when you you know, I I think in you know in in times I think back to to some key moments where, mm-hmm. for me, I think the greatest memories are in any occasion are when you have you have breakthroughs with players, right? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I've I've been lucky to have been in some great places when you know some some special people who I'm close to have, have, have won some good things, achieved great things. Right. And, yeah, yeah. you know, um, that, you know, they're obviously, they're obviously great, but then again, they're not very much to do with me, if that makes sense. You know, I'm just, just having to be there. Um, I think the best memories in any training process you have are when you work with an athlete and then they suddenly achieve a breakthrough. Yeah. So they've been struggling a bit and then they just suddenly hit that. They suddenly, they suddenly get it. They suddenly <laughs> realize it, you know? Um, and, you know, so that's, that's, that's when these things suddenly, you know, they suddenly click. So whether yeah. that's, you know, whether that's in a weight room with a player who um, has been trying to, trying to get a movement, um, yep. you know, for, for a long period of time and then yeah. they suddenly get it and they're like, oh mm. my God, I, I, this, you know, this suddenly yeah. comes together. Or, yeah. yeah. And I can think about being in Florida. I remember a specific occasion being in Florida as well, where mm. there's a, you know, a player who had been struggling to, to really break through a physical barrier, like, yeah. And pushed herself to a point where she actually completed a really, really tough track session yeah. and, and actually pushed herself to the, to, she didn't give up. She pushed herself through pain. She pushed herself to finish it. Yeah. And just that afterwards she led down and we just talked for like 45 minutes as she yeah. recovered. Yeah. But she actually just talked through the process that she'd gone through to get to that point and actually yeah. realized realizing she wasn't delivering. And that those sorts of moments that yeah definitely they, 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 that's yeah definitely I would agree with that definitely you're having big because we are clients or athletes or you know it's suddenly that aha moment they get um, and it's definitely yeah it's one of the sweet sweet moments isn't it it's 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 why we do what we do exactly, right yeah you absolutely know? um it's and it and it's and it's also the time when it's just it's just you and the athlete you know yeah. there isn't there aren't there aren't other people there to mm-hmm impact on it or in you know or whatever um it's it's just fundamentally you know you and them and it's about the process that you've worked through and you know we all talk about trust the process right and yeah you know when it when it happens and it comes good 
then you know it, it happens and you realize it you know yeah and you know equally i can remember some you know I, I some some pretty some pretty enjoyable moments where, I, where i've sat down with you know other medical staff and we, we're trying to solve particularly complex problems yeah yeah, yeah. you know and then you get that um, moment yeah and and i mean what one player we weren't sure if you know she was going to retire mm-hmm. um and you know we're trying to work through a, a shoulder rehabilitation mm-hmm. um and it you know she did the work the program worked out mm-hmm. and you know she went on to she went on to to win further titles yeah but the, the you know the the problem solving process that we went through and sat down and worked through yeah where you're literally just bouncing ideas and expertise off each oh, other and you know and so you and and it that for me fundamentally is you know it's it's, it's pretty nerdy but it's actually you know that <laughs> yeah, that for me really is when you you know when you're getting the most out of someone's expertise and they're yeah. and they're pulling ideas from you yeah that, again they're they're moments that uh you know that you you particularly want to want to enjoy yeah brilliant okay clive it's been great speaking to you today uh, thank you for coming on the the racket athlete podcast um any final words or no i think you know i mean i've enjoyed the discussion chris i think it's a you know it's a fascinating topic and yeah you know it's just obviously something where you know we're all all passionate about and Absolutely. stuff so yeah. um but if there's if there's further follow-up or anything else i can do to another time then uh, then please reach yeah. out but it's been great enjoyed it yeah and where can people reach out to you if if that's available for them to reach out to you yeah sure um uh probably email is the is the best way yeah. um maybe perhaps you could share my email afterwards when you when you put the thing out um yeah. i am on twitter and i am on facebook i i not that frequent. I could even tell you what my Twitter thing is, though. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, people, so can, people can find me through LinkedIn or Twitter or, or yeah. Facebook. So, yeah, there's a few there that can kind of contact you about uh, any of the training aspects or if you want to get in contact. Okay, Clive, thank you very much. Um, okay, that's another episode of the Racket Athlete podcast, folks, um, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.